What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Today, we have a very special guest on the episode. His name is Zane Helberg. Yeah, Zane Helberg. Nice to meet you guys. Or <laughs> not nice to meet you guys, but nice to meet you, all you listeners out there. Yeah, it's nice to be here. So Zane is a stand-up comedian, funny guy, nice guy, polite guy, guy <laughs> in recovery. We're super glad to have him here on the podcast. Where did polite guy come from? I just I looked at him. I am a polite guy. I'm, he I'm looks very, very polite. I'm a, I'm very cordial, I, 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 you respectful, are. <laughs> polite. But you tell very and... dirty-ish type Oh, yeah. I'm not polite when I tell my jokes. I'm very impolite, but yeah, I'm a a nice guy. Please thank you. Hi, you know, know, (laughs) handshakes, bows, you know, like all that kind of shit. (laughs) So the reason we have Zane here is because he works for, he owns a company. Yeah, I mean, I I, I am a man. I have a a company. It's it's called Laugh to Live. Um, It's, uh, it's, yeah, less of a, like a company and more of just uh, a, a name of my the business that I have that I needed uh, a reason or I needed a name to um, to tell rehabs when I called them and asked them <laughs> to solicit my services you know I yeah, yeah, yeah. I do stand up here we're gonna do a show here it's gonna be a lot of fun you guys are awesome um, when I call rehabs and say hey I'm a stand-up and I want to come tell jokes there I was like uh, I've got to have some sort of name that's true. You know what I mean? Like, I can't just be like, hey, I'm, I'm this. Zane. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm Zane. Can I come tell jokes? They're like, well, who are you? But if I, you know, have a company name and it's legit and I've got, you know, you can make a check out to laugh to live. And then all of a sudden I'm not some guy trying to scam you. I'm like, I've got a business, you know? Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, that's uh, the, probably the best way to describe that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so we've had him up here, what, five times, six times? Yeah. It's been, uh, gosh, I think this is year... It's been three years, maybe. Yeah. It's three been years. a while. Yeah, I've been a number of times over the course of about three years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are great. Yeah, yeah. so are you, man. And uh, I think I remember the first time you guys came up, and it was like, it just like you said, right? Like, you're calling a rehab to be like, hey, I'm going to come tell jokes, you know? And so, like, I got my boss, and he's like, yeah, this guy's coming up to like tell jokes to our clients, you know? <laughs> I was like, all right, right on, you know? That's awesome. And I yeah. was there, and it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't like fathom that i was going to laugh that hard you guys crushed it oh yeah that first time we were here i mean that was before i mean that was when i was just uh like i would bring groups of guys out and i would host the show it took me you know a couple years to to get to the point where i could do an uh and like an hour show and now when i tour i do like an 80 minute show on the road but at that time um I had I brought three of my favorite friends yeah, to yeah, do the yeah. show here as I just wanted it to be perfect, you know, and I wanted to be able to give you guys like an awesome two hour show. And oh, my God. Um, yeah, I remember that. Like, I remember because uh, the, the first two guys did pretty good. But then my, one of my best friends, Nate Hurd, oh, yeah. just destroyed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> murdered. Oh, my God. That was such a fun time. And then we ended up going to the Tahoe location and doing a show over there, which was also a lot of fun. Um, yeah, man, that was, I think that was three years ago this month. Wow. 
It's been that long. Mm -hmm. Well, I know when you called, it was great timing because we had been researching, you know, we do a lot of different experiential things with Rock to Recovery and different things. And laughter is just such a healing medicine. And and we thought, what a perfect way to introduce it into the program. I mean, because really, we're teaching people how to have fun and be sober. What better way to do that than comedy? Right. No, I agree with that. Like, I mean, I'm not going to try to... I'm never like the dude who's like, oh, you know, if you... If I come and I, I make these addicts laugh, then maybe they'll think that they have a chance to get sober. Like a lot of people will ask me the the impact I think that I have on these people. And it's like, that's not what it's about at all. Like, I don't know what, uh, there's many reasons why people stop doing drugs. And there's Absolutely. many reasons why people get the opportunity to get sober. But like, I just want to, you know, come here and show people that they can still have a a good time that at least this isn't a fucking death sentence we can tell jokes we can we don't have to be squares we you can still be the person mm. you want to be you can still be dirty you can still have a, an opinion about something you don't have to change who you are you can just like have a good time and you don't have to put drugs and alcohol in your body you know and it's just like it's that it's possible to like take a load off and like laugh you know what i mean like that's that's like the goal of it it's just, and of course i like to to tell jokes to, to drug addicts because they get me. <laughs> they do. You right. know what I mean? They do. That's your well, public. Right. Like, I've been through this shit. Yeah. So it's like you guys, we have we are on the same wavelength. There's like know? a prerequisite you don't even have to get into. Right. It's just exactly. already there. Mm -hmm. It's like a given, you know. Yeah, the, well, that's what I admire. It's just your willingness to be vulnerable. Like I just could not put myself out there in that manner. And and you do, and you're right, it's very relatable because everybody probably has those thoughts they would never really express or thinks these things that right. they don't don't put out there. And you just put it all out there and that's what makes it so endearing yeah. is because everybody can relate to it. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of times like when I do shows like this, I'll talk about like my my mental health course you know yeah. and like all of the dark shit comes out in these environments when i go do uh a comedy i did a comedy club at the mall of america in july nice. and the whole weekend i did not talk about my mental health once that entire weekend that's not <laughs> what they're there for they just want to hear about my relationships and they want to hear about <laughs> sex and then they want me to they want to go home you know like here i've just got a little more leeway to kind of just talk about whatever the hell i want to you know i love that that's the fun stuff to me you know like people in recovery tend to enjoy talking about their recovery or their shared experience and yeah one thing i was going to comment on real quick which i think is pretty important so you mentioned like uh people come up to you and ask about like your impact that you have from delivering the comedy show and but then you went on to explain like hey i'm just trying to do this i'm just trying to make like a fun time i'm just trying to make it okay to be yourself i'm just trying to make it okay to like have fun without drugs and alcohol and immediately what it made me think of is my first time in treatment or not my first time my third time in treatment and last time thank god but while I was in treatment, I had a bunch of, of guys that were mellow, laid back, funny, real. And they, and they were the first people to show me that you can be yourself. Sobriety doesn't have to suck. Right. Life can be fun. You can still crack jokes and have an opinion. And, you know, going back to when, you're, when you said, like, getting sober isn't like a, a, a one. There isn't a one, one thing that gets you sober. But for me, that was that exact thing. That was that exact thing for me was 
the, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to be young and like outgoing and have an opinion and make jokes. Like all of that, like I needed someone to tell me that that was okay. So kudos okay. to you for doing that for people. I right. think. Thank, yeah. All right, cool. All right. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. That wasn't like a, I'm going to try and make you wrong, like live <laughs> no, on this no. show. I, no, I know. I just get a, I don't know. I, the only th- issue that I ever have is like, I, I really am trying to, I'm trying really hard to not be a dude who like thinks that I'm going to come in and change anybody's life. Like that's like not my that. goal. My goal is just to come tell people jokes of course. and fuck around. And I think the byproduct of it, I think best case scenario is the situation that you were in. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, oh my God, these guys uh, showed me that I can change my life for the better. Sure. If that, if something that I say, if a dick joke that I tell (laughs) makes someone feel like they don't ever have to do heroin again, by all means, that's fucking fantastic. But like, you know, at the same time, you don't want that responsibility. Yeah, like, exactly. if I don't tell this right. dick joke right, they're yeah. gonna go use after. Exactly. They leave. Like, I'm not, I'm not claiming that my comedy by any means is gonna get anyone sober. You know, that's but. what I was about to say. I'm like, <laughs> like I don't want that responsibility, but I won't not take the credit. <laughs> sure, I appreciate <laughs> hearing stuff like that. There are yeah. times people like really need it man you know there's the the very first time i did stand up in a rehab was at a detox in in encino california and that's where like this whole thing started is Mm -hmm. uh i was putting on a a little show in hollywood and i was like i'm gonna invite some sober people and a friend of a friend worked at this hospital he was the director of client services at a detox facility and he was like i can't bring anyone to your show but why don't you come out and bring a group and and do some stand-up for them in the in like the rec room and i was like this is gonna be terrible like this is not a good scenario for comedy you know comedy's tough already you're going into battle against people and you're trying to make them laugh but now they they he wants me to come into the hospital and tell jokes to people who are kicking heroin and they're on seroquil you know they're taking yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know what i mean like they're what's not having fuck? drinks they're like right. medicated yeah they're high like highly medicated and so we go there and the the facility was 27 beds they were all filled and they said they told everyone in every single one of the beds that there was a comedy show going on and mm-hmm. two people showed up. Oh damn. That's how that's how little people want comedy. At is that, that time they're in fucking, their life. <laughs> they're yeah. kicking heroin. They're in a hospital bed with that little television and they won't get up to come sit for <laughs> 45 minutes or an hour to listen to a comedy show. But anyway, did you crush? Well, we here's the thing. Like <laughs> the group of people that I brought, we had a great time. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily even remember what I said or what any how the show went, but there was a uh, an elderly woman who sat on the couch and then this kid, he a young man, he was in his early 20s and uh he was sitting there and they had this little um uh, ice cream freezer where like you know you're in the rec room you just get free ice cream so he grabbed a pile of ice creams Sick. like ice cream sandwiches put them on his lap and just started eating ice creams and <laughs> laughing his ass off dude we were basically doing a private show for this for guy the, yeah, and yeah. at the end he was like i'm from montana i've never seen live comedy before i've been doing heroin for years and i'm just kicked i'm kicking heroin right now and i never thought i would be able to have a good time without doing heroin and he was just going on and on and giving everyone hugs and and he had like ice cream all over his face <laughs> And I was like, holy shit, like, this was incredible. We, we got to do this again. We're you know? on to something. Right. Yeah. So then we'd come back to that place every week and slowly, like, I, uh, people started to take, like, notice, like, hey, come out to our rehab and do it, you know, and it just became a thing, right? Yeah. So it came from, it definitely came from 
and was born out of uh, one person really being affected by it. Yeah. You know, really having a good time. And who knows where that kid is now. But that night, you know, he went from uh, feeling really bad about his situation mm-hmm. to like getting out of himself for an hour, you know? So that was, that's the goal. I just, you know, want people to enjoy themselves. And that's know? what and it's forget. about. Even if you just reach one person, it's worth it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you shared that because that's, that's uh that paints quite the picture you know wow okay so what led you to sobriety that's my question so you know oh my god a, a, a <laughs> lifetime of getting beat up by drugs and alcohol um so i mean i i i grew up uh in like a sober family my parents um were sober alcoholics and for they had long-term sobriety and um I grew up with like basically in a halfway house. My parents were always trying to help people get sober. And so I was just around all of this alcoholism my entire life, mm-hmm. which in retrospect really probably was not the best uh, environment for a child to grow up. But, you know, in the end, when I ended up becoming a crazy drug addict and alcoholic, um, I, I knew where to go, you know, um, to get some help. And it was just... I mean, in, in 2012, I had been drinking and using drugs for 13 solid years, you know, and I barely drew a sober breath in, in, in that decade. And, you know, it got to the point where I, I mean, I'm a blackout drunk. So like I, I went from blacking out and ruining everything a couple times a year to a couple times a week, oh, damn. you know, and it just got to that point where it was like I'd lost everything. And, um, you know, was on this three day bender of, of just losing everything more and more shit. Um, you know, the, the Halloween of 2012 into the, like the November 3rd. And it just got to this point where I was sitting with a friend of mine who, uh, uh, we were at a, uh, like a cafe just having lunch and, uh, and writing and fucking around. And I had, he had been with me the, the night before, where I was in like in and out of a blackout, getting yeah. in fights with people. And he was looking at me and he's like, dude, you're crazy. He's like, honestly, you're, he's like, no one knows whether you're going to be drunk, high, angry, sad, happy. Like you're a wild card and that's why you're losing all your friends. And that's why you're not getting any work as a comedian because you're, no one knows who they're getting yeah. when, when they call you. And right there I was like, I should get sober and I should fucking quit drinking. And right then, my at that moment, my phone rang and it was my mom. Wow! And and I picked up the phone and she it was Saturday and she was like, "Oh hey, well, honey, what's going on?" She was just saying hello, and out of my mouth, I was like, oh, "I'm getting sober." <laughs> and so, like in the blink of an eye, without me really even knowing it, I was knowing it was going to happen. I said I should get sober. Then I told my mom that I was getting sober. Oh man! And then like five minutes later, she hung up the phone and she's like, "All right, I'm going to call you back." And then five minutes later, she texts me. She's like, call this guy right now. And so I'm standing on Melrose Boulevard and a terrible hangover talking to this guy. And he's like, uh, I'm like, hey, man, I think I need to get sober. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like this just uh, series of events happened where I was, you know, in a meeting and and, you know, hanging out with sober people and doing the things that, that we do to get sober and. Well, thank yeah. God everybody jumped to action before you had a change of heart, had another drink, and it's like, no, no, we'll right. do that later. No, Well, here's the thing, like, so that November 3rd was my last drink, and then I I was pretty hungover. And then I went out, 
I went out to to do some stand up and watched uh I watched a show and a friend of mine just fucking crushed. Just he just did so well and all of our friends were there in the back watching and it was just like this moment and uh and I I was like I just don't want to do fucking do this anymore, you know? And I had a for some reason, I don't know, this had never happened before and never happened again, but I got an overnight security job. They call it Firewatch. There's a movie set out in Palmdale, which is mm-hmm. north of Los Angeles. A friend of mine was like, hey, man, I need you, I need a partner. I need you to come get in the car with me. We're going to go do this overnight security job, and they'll pay us cash. So I had uh, uh, I had got picked up to go do this job after this show, and um, I was just like, I was just like, I, I was a bummer, you know. I was pretty depressed because of, of the. I had, my girlfriend dumped me. All my friends told me to fuck off, and I had also said that I was going to get sober, which I did, wasn't certain whether that was true or not. But I said it. You've committed now, right? So I went and did this job, and we smoked weed that night. And then on the way home in the morning, my buddy was rolling a joint, and he passed it to me, and I was just like, Nah, man. And it was the honestly, I think the first time I ever turned down weed in my entire life. And, um, and I was just, I'm good, dude. (laughs) I need to go to bed. You know, that's the, what it felt like. I just, I need to rest. And so I I went home, I got some, I think I ordered Panda Express. I laid down at like four o'clock in the afternoon, slept through the night (laughs) and woke up on the 5th of November of 2012, honestly sober. Like I woke up sober for the first time in longer than I can remember. And yeah you know did all the things that we need to do to get sober and i haven't had a drink since and it was just weird like i can't explain how it all worked out this way you know what i mean but it did it's weird to look back at it's like i don't know how it made sense or how it happened but it did right and i feel like a lot of people have like that kind of I don't know, I guess you could call it like a come to Jesus or whatever you want to label right. that experience. Yeah, there know? was a moment. I had it's a moment. It's like the meat cute of like a, a movie, but like opposite. Yes, that's like a very the... great metaphor to use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was it difficult learning how to deliver stand-up sober as opposed to being drunk and high all the time? Because I know like learning to do things sober is always super awkward. Mm-hmm. Your first concert, your first this, your first that, when you're so used to being loaded while doing those things previously well you know two i guess there's there's two answers to that question one uh, right off the bat no it wasn't it wasn't hard to learn to deliver comedy what happened was my perspective changed completely yeah i got sober i started living my life differently i started living spiritually and all of a sudden i was uh i mean at that time when did i get i was 28 so like when i started doing stand-up i was a a, like a young mid twenties bro, and I I I talk shit about girls and drugs <laughs> and drinking and partying. That's like the but the only only knowledge I had about life was that was that <laughs> yeah, yeah right. And so all of a sudden I stopped drinking and I start to realize what I like and who I am. And so my perspective changed completely. So I re- what I really had to do was just start writing from a different perspective. So that was one thing. The other thing was that it became so much easier to do stand-up. Uh. You know, yeah, sure, I get nervous. I was drinking before shows to calm the nerves. But say I get nervous, but I was also clear-headed. You know, I could put a thought together. You could the read fly. the room. You yeah, <laughs> I, I could, yeah, I could read the room, yeah. you know? And, um, God, it just, uh, 
yeah, it, it got exponentially easier as soon as I put the bottle down. Like it'd be, it'd be like going to, to school to do math and you're just going drunk every day. It's like, how do you learn how to do math? Not drunk. It's like, well, your, your, your mind's clear. Yeah. Your so brain you, works. Dude. Your brain works a little better. So you can connect, you can compute the algebra quicker, you know? And that's basically how my entire life felt is that everything became easier. Yeah. That's huge because it's like that comes up in a treatment setting or in a recovery setting all the time. Like the fear of the feeling outweighs like the results you could have. Oh yeah. And so we just never do it. Like I would not me personally, but kind of the example is I'd much rather be not nervous. I'd rather like manipulate those feelings and do poorly than feel those feelings and not know what happens. Like oh, the unknown absolutely. of being sober and performing or doing something. I think we do you have you ever experienced that and in recovery, like going through that? I, I mean, it's been a long time. Down. That's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> She's I've been, been doing sober. this about 26 years. Yeah. So it's a... <laughs> she got sober when I was two years old. Exactly. So... Did we really have to say yeah. that? We don't have to go Did back. Did we to really yeah. have to go there, Dallas? <laughs> that's a compliment. That's a long time of recovery. Yeah, it is a long time. Yeah, and I'm super young. I, I, Congratulations. I don't know. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, good for you, Dallas. Yeah, you don't even have any mistakes yet. Like, you haven't <sighs> fucked everything up. Well, like, what, what did you lose when you got sober? Everything? <laughs> yeah. Your Xbox? I had nothing to lose, bro. <laughs> oh, man. I like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really feel too obligated to answer that question as far as, like, what I lost, but... I think losing yourself's like good enough, you know, at some point, so you know. Funny. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Sorry, Ange. I just I felt like that just was like the right way to go. I'm like, let's go towards that, you know? Like Okay, dude. Yeah. So anyways, what uh what else is with us here? Um, I don't know, man. I'm I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be sober. I mean I mean none of this Me too. Uh, no, nothing that I have in my life uh I mean, I would have nothing that I have right now if I wasn't sober, that's for sure. And definitely the pandemic going on would have driven me freaking crazy. Yeah. If I was still out there drinking. Yeah. I'd be drinking around the clock. I'd be doing nothing. Who knows? Yeah. Well, when we talk about that, I think we've talked about it on this show, and I certainly talk about it with a lot of people outside of this show, is even people who didn't have a problem prior to this pandemic now have a problem. Oh, and yeah. it started off as a bunch of jokes like, oh, you know, it's noon, time to start drinking. What day is it? You know, and ha ha ha, funny. But it's like right. really real. That is when people start that, it's hard to stop that. Oh, yeah. And certainly nothing's happening in the world right now to say you should stop doing that because it's so uncertain and Right wild. when you feel you're on this perpetual staycation, it's like, well, what else is there to do? Right. There's, I mean, if you drink, there's really nothing else to do but like have cocktails in the middle of the day like right but it's even worse because you can't even go to your local bar to at least be around people you're like oh, yeah. home alone all by yourself just you know drinking yourself into oblivion and, without and, and, even yeah. any social people to maybe check you or check on you it's yeah it's pretty bleak. dark pretty dark I mean, I mean the isolation's getting to me being sober i can't imagine what it would be like if i was drunk every day you kidding me? Or having like no experience of how to like work through isolation or your feelings or like working through that, having, you know, people in your corner to be like, dude, can you just like answer the phone and talk? Like this is killing me. I mean, it's tough for everybody right now. I mean, I know that the the past, God, what has it been five months now that we've been fully since March, March, yeah. April, May, June, July. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like it's so, almost, almost September, almost six. six months. Yeah, half a year of this, and it's like it for sure getting to me. You yeah. know, being it like just the isolation of being home, not like beyond the idea that like that I don't get to see people. Not only do I not get to see people, but like the I really have realized over these past six months that a lot of my friends were just people that I saw all the time. You know, wow. like people that I was out, like I would be out doing stand up, or I'd be anyone that you, if you go to a job, like you just see these people at work and there's all these people that I just don't see anymore because they're just not in my environment, you know? Right. So like, not only do I not see the people that I normally would, but then also like my friends, like you've got to, I now have to really make an effort to stay in contact with them. And it's just so easy for a week to go by and for just be me and my girlfriend. You know, she, she goes to work, so she gets to see her people and then she comes home and then she's like the only person I've been in contact with. And then all of a sudden it's been a week and it's like, oh shit, well maybe I should, maybe I should call somebody or maybe I should zoom someone or maybe I should go on a a hike with someone, but it's so easy to forget that, you know? Yeah. It's like getting used to like this becoming normal is scary. Well, like having to make the effort to have relationships is it, that's scary because it's not, I'm like, I'm not wired that way. I'm wired to have relationships with whoever's around me. Right. You know, like socially or just coming into contact with people. It's like, all of that's like familiar. Like you're used to running into people and seeing people and talking to people and making new connections and all that's right. just kind of gone. Or just having a, like we're able to spend time together because we have a reason to be spending time together. Right. right. We're doing a podcast where you're working here, I'm doing a show here, we get to be in each other's environment, but, you know, regularly, it's like, if you don't have a reason to be around someone, you just, just to hang out, like, think about it, like, how often did you ever just call someone to just come and sit at your house and talk with you? <laughs> Fucking never. Uh, never. Sounds like therapy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, that, but that's the only thing that you can do now. It's like, well, let's just hang out. Well, what do you want to do? Well, nothing, because there's nothing to do. It's like, well, that just didn't exist before this pandemic. And now I'm, I've found that I've had to like, like a friend, my one of my best friends who I've known since I was 15, we would see each other once a month or even a few times a year now that he's got a family or we would go to a like a 4th of July barbecue or somebody's mm-hmm. wedding or we'd all a, a group of guys would go out to dinner we had a reason and so now like uh this was i think like 4 weeks ago we were talking and he's like I don't know I'm going fucking crazy man I'm like hey you want to like come over <laughs> and he was like uh okay and then so he came over and we like we ordered dinner and like sat and hung out it was so fucking weird <laughs> It was the weird, like it was weird to just have him sit in my living room and to just talk. And what we ended up doing was like reminiscing and catching up as if we were like at a family reunion and hadn't seen each other in 20 years. It was just, just a bizarre thing, you know? Um, But yeah, it's like, if I hadn't done that, I, I, I think he's the only person that I've like hung out with outside of my uh, girlfriend or like, I went to go see family. I went to, me and uh, me and my girlfriend got COVID tests and then drove to Colorado for my um, nephew's birthday, right? And so I got to see family and we, you know, we hung out in our little group, you know, in the hotel room. And then we went out to dinner. There were some places that were open in their in their little town and stuff. But like, other than that, I fucking haven't seen anybody in person. 
That's yeah. got to be so hard. I mean, we say to ourselves all the time, and we mm-hmm. certainly, you know, I guess we're considered essential workers. You know, we're on the front lines, and we have right. to help people. This is what we do. But at the same time, I think we all feel very fortunate that we get to do this, and we oh, get yeah. to see people, and we get to see our friends, because our friends are the people we work with. And um, we feel like we're in a very good place mentally, because we don't have, we're not living what you have to live through, oh, which yeah. I... I would struggle with. I'm a very social person. Hell yeah. And that'd be very difficult for me. Yes, it has been. I mean, there's been yeah. uh, a couple times where I've gotten to travel to do some stand up. Thank God. There we go. And that's been that's been fun. You know, I get to hang out with a buddy. Mm-hmm. We get to do something different in a different city. And uh, but that you know that used to be my life. Now it's like, ooh, I, do I get to do it this month? Maybe, maybe not. You know. Now it's like this. Maybe this reward or like it's like yeah. this vacation that might happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, wow. Well, hey, I'm proud of proud of you for getting through it. You know, hopefully it's almost over. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess any. Well, here's the thing. I don't think it's almost over. Yeah. And if there's anyone out there listening, it's like <laughs> that feels this way. You're not fucking alone, and you're not weird for going through it. This is yeah. like we're all, especially people who don't get to go to work every day, are going through something seriously traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think people are really talking about that at all. You know, I think that especially like there's the it, it's become so political. Is it real? Is it not? Should I wear a mask? Mm-hmm. Should I not? But who gives a fuck? The fact of the matter is, there's a lot of people at home who are going insane right yeah, now. Yeah, suicide rates are yes, up. Dude. It's people, everything. People yeah. are going fucking crazy. Yeah. This is really not something to, to I don't know, take with a grain of salt. This is real. And there's a lot, a lot of people out there who are not just bored, but like fucking, they don't know how they're losing gonna, their mind. They're losing their fucking minds, man. I am. I'm definitely losing my fucking mind. And I've got no, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that. I think it's kind of funny, but like, you know, it's just also not. Yeah. It's also not at all. (laughs) But we're just in this situation where like, uh, like I, I, uh, there's a joke that I've been telling, but I like, I haven't spent like all I've been doing is, is spending uh, time at home. I'm spending all my time at home. And all I do is clean and then stare out the window, wondering what the government is doing. And that's, (laughs) literally what i did when i was on drugs like i haven't been this fucking crazy since i was on a three-day coke binge staring out my window thinking people are watching me and i just was i was looking out my window this was months ago and i I had just cleaned my apartment for hours and that was like like for the millionth time and i was looking out the window watching these squirrels thinking like man i wonder what the government's going to do to get us out of this right now and i was like oh yeah this is familiar yeah familiar but worse because you can't just like go sleep it off you know it's like it's it's permanent. Yeah, the nightmare is real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You wake up and it's the same thing the mm-hmm. next day. It's not going It's not anywhere. just me being paranoid. You just painted the picture quite well. <laughs> wow. There's... I'm proud of you for staying sober through all this because, you know, I think there probably has been a lot of relapse and a lot yeah. of, you know, people not knowing how to cope. And that's an old familiar coping mechanism. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty true. I think, I don't know, I do a lot to stay sober. So I feel like really... The past six months of definitely drinking has not really crossed my mind. Thank God. Yeah, there have been plenty of times where I wish I could just fucking check out. But I don't know. I've, I've just been I've been pretty lucky that I've been able to stay sober through this. I mean, I'm, I'm coming up on eight years of sobriety, which is... There we go. It's, it feels like the sobriety no man's land. You know, the first few years I was just on fire for sobriety. You know, I was just on my soapbox about God and proselytizing the program and just you know 
I had ever I had the answers for everyone, and I got <laughs> uh you know around you know six years. Yeah, it was like about six years of sobriety. I'd you know I had gotten a divorce. You know me and my I had got married in in I don't even remember what year two thousand I guess seventeen or something or. I don't know, was 17 or 18. I was only married for like two months and my wife dipped out because she was a drug addict and she was just oh, like, I'm oh not man. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I need to move back home. It was a crazy thing, right? And so <clears throat> it was around that time that I, I don't know, I hit this pocket of sobriety where I I did I was not on fire for it anymore. But I also didn't feel like like an old timer. You know, I didn't feel like this guy who'd been sober for t- 10 or 20 years that just had, right. had battled through it all. You know, I really feel like now, now is the time where I've had to, especially in the past couple of years, just like redouble my spiritual efforts. You know, mm-hmm. I've just been just going to a bunch of different programs, you know, uh, doing doing the uh, the work over and over and over again, you know, writing a bunch of different inventories, trying, you know, and it's just... um yeah, it's it's hard work. I definitely feel like I've put a bunch of hard work in in the past few years to kind of just to get the same. And I and I still don't have the fire that I used to have, you know. But like, but I guess I don't know. It's just I don't. I'm lucky. There's a lot of people that are in this place that like they just go out. You know, I had a, a two friends die in the past couple months. One of a accidental overdose, and one guy who. um who I don't know exactly how he died, but he was a guy I sponsored years ago. I just got Damn. the call, you know, and that's just, yeah. that's just been happening a lot, you know, yep. now specifically, but it's just, it's one of those things that happens all the time. The longer you stay sober, the more people you see don't make it. Yep. Of course. You know, and I just don't want to be one of those guys, you know? So right now I'm not very excited about my sobriety, but I also, um, I respect the fact that I can't ever drink again yeah. or it will get, bad well i think you hit on the key which is it's it's constant work there's no coasting there's no like oh i got this and i'm better now there's yeah constant work that needs to be done because if you're not moving up you start sliding back down ever so slightly mm-hmm. and so i feel like you've got that figured out and it's not always fun and games but you know it's you gotta right. keep doing work on yourself right. you can't just get complacent and i mean i feel like there's like some the the roller coaster of like or the ebbs and flows of, of being committed to my sobriety are uh, necessary. You know, there's these emotional yeah. bottoms that I need to hit to recommit me to spirituality and, or to whatever program I'm working. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm just, I feel very lucky and grateful that those emotional bottoms haven't taken me out. Cause I've seen it happen to so many people and, and I don't like, I don't know. I'm just feel very lucky because I, I, uh, I don't know why I've been one of those lucky ones. Well, I think you put in the work and I think you give back, you know, like, like us, we just stay in the field as a constant reminder of what going back could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those things. It's, it's very easy to forget, you know, dude, it's super easy to forget whether it's forgetting how bad it was or forgetting how it won't fix things or like forgetting that we have to put in constant work or we're moving. If we're not moving forward and moving backwards and, like Andrew was saying, we're, we're, we're blessed to have that reminder every day. You know how they kind of say like, you know, don't forget what it's like to be a newcomer and 
I'm at six years right now. So I was kind of relating to what you were saying. A lot of, you know, the first five years have been like, yeah, I'm on fire. Like no one can stop me. I got the answer for everybody, you know, and now it's kind of more, and I've heard it before. I've heard people speak of, uh, the first five years of sobriety being like physical sobriety and the next five being emotional and the last or not the last five, but 10 through 15 being like spiritual, you know, I've heard that before. And I feel like this emotional sobriety, like roller coaster with me where it's like, maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I'm not here to fix people. And maybe I'm just here to listen, you know, that type of stuff's happening for me too. So I really related yeah. with that. I mean, would you, would, do you relate to this? Like I have this feeling and I've had it for a couple of years, like and it comes in waves, like, uh, do I have to keep doing this forever? <laughs> like, really? This is still going on. Like I'm still here. So I, every day I still got to be sober and I, what another year and another year. And it's just, it went from being something that, you know, in my first four or five years was like, Oh yeah, I, I'm. This is who I am. This is who I want to be forever. Right. To being like, holy fuck, this feels much more daunting. You mm-hmm. know, like this has gone on such a long time. You know, and I feel like maybe in the same yeah. thing, like a rela- any other relationship, you get like a seven year itch. Yeah. You know. Right? Yeah. I think that's kind of what I'm getting over. <laughs> yeah, right you get now. over the, the honeymoon period, and yeah. then it's like, okay, yeah, so this is it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like the. Uh, I, I guess I, I feel that way to some degree, for sure, to answer your question. I think um, it's kind of just like we have, it feels like we have to put in a lot more work to even get like a snippet of the same outcome or result. Yeah. It's like, damn, oh, yeah. like I really got to do this inventory this time to even like uh-huh. get a little bit of weight off these shoulders, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I guess it, it, the reality is it can be daunting because you know, we use drugs and alcohol to deal with our life, you know, and now that we don't doesn't imply that life doesn't get shitty. Right. Yeah. Well, and there's a pretty big epidemic happening in the world that's throwing all kinds of things at us that I don't think we ever thought we'd see in this lifetime and how to cope with that. And um, I mean, yeah, that's all that's pretty true. And also like the first couple of years of sobriety, if you stay sober, everyone is so happy for you they're and so they're pumped. so proud of you. You know, <laughs> no one like, cares. Anymore, all you got to do dude. is not drink. And they're like, wow, look, what a great job. Miracle. He's doing. You're a miracle. Right. And now it's like, okay, that's the, that doesn't cut it anymore. And it's like, I, you know, I, I, the fact that I had an $8 an hour job when I was 30 days sober, I was like, I made it. I fucking thank God. I'm just so grateful to have somewhere to go. Yeah. You know, and now the bar was so low. Right. I'm, I'm, I, uh, yes, the bar was low. I'd like to, uh, earn a living, save for my future, have a family, have a retirement, and like real life things are happening. And it's like, and you got to be sober. And I got to be sober. Right. So, like, sober's baseline now. It's no longer a victory. It's like, it's something that I need to do so that I can then go out and have a real life and having a real life is hard and being having a successful life is hard and making it is hard. And, um, and that's a big reason why I drank in the past because I couldn't handle living, you know, but of course, so I don't know. All right. So say my (laughs) next question for you. Um, so yeah, the first time you came with a big group of people, is that like your, your gang, your sober gang? 
you still hang out or well i guess we already established we're not hanging out but do you still <laughs> right talk with well those guys? He, i mean uh okay so john uh well so i came with uh, three guys a guy named john a guy named nick and a guy named nate uh john doesn't do stand-up anymore i see him a lot he he's now a real estate agent oh wow. one of the funniest men in the world and he's selling he, houses he, yeah he's selling houses and uh and he's got a podcast it's great it's called fantasy house um he's a dear friend um yeah i rarely see him and then nick he got married and moved away i don't ever see him and then and then nate yeah i see nate all the time um i just did uh, nate has a a new like podcast storytelling show that they're doing at the comedy store now which is closed down but they have mm. uh, they'll do a podcast inside next to their window and then people can sit on the patio and like and hear it over the loudspeakers and watch the people talking through the window which is all very weird but yeah i see i kind of like, like it it sounds so weird it's all so weird but i just did a, a storytelling show with nate recently so i don't get to see him very often but yeah i see i see those guys no those those guys that came out that first time were just uh, three guys that I love, you know, and, and we had been touring a lot together that that summer beforehand. Um, but I mean, now there's just a the group has evolved. You know, when um, when I first came here three years ago, I was doing like I could comfortably do 15 to 20 minutes of stand up. But because of this type of work and um and going to that hospital that I was telling you about mm -hmm. every Friday night and just be getting, I was just getting so much stage time. I was able to go from, you know, being able to, to open for people, which is what I did when you first saw me to doing a longer show, you know? So the, the groups that I would bring on the road with me got smaller and smaller to the, to the point where it's just, I bring Aaron who opens for me mm -hmm. and he does 15 minutes and then I do an hour or an hour and 20 or whatever. You're the headliner. Right. Sure. If for, yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, my name is in, uh, I don't in know. Lights. I see it in blinking lights. Yeah. Right. So I guess, yeah, I'm, uh, people are, are really coming out to see me and it's exciting, but no, I, um, the, the group that I, uh, work with now doing a lot of now because of COVID happened, I've, you know, transitioned to the main crux of the program to, um, to like a group style show setting again. Mm -hmm. And we do it over zoom. And, um, and so I have the same five or six sober comedians doing these zoom shows. None of them are really Nate, John or Nick wow. um, because they're doing other things, but they're, right guys that came out here there uh, i think that the second time i came out here i brought a guy named craig conant and a guy named andy haynes both of whom have become so much more they've, they've gotten so much success over the, the past couple of years but they'll do uh they'll do a lot of my my zoom laugh to live shows now nice which is now like the um that's like the main gig because the touring isn't going on. We got to do it all through Zoom, of course. You know, so, and are you finding you're able to get business that way? You're able to do business. Well, yeah. I mean, it's much easier to get business now because I can do it anywhere in the world, right? So, on uh, if doing it through Zoom, I can have and have. I have had shows um, like one in Austin in the afternoon, one in Portland in the evening. Wow, you that's know, cool. like to to do it the old 
way. I would have to drive all over the place to do these shows. And now I don't. Now I can, uh, like right now I'm, I'm working on, um, on getting new business on the East Coast, you know? So we yeah. had a show in Portland, Maine last week. Damn. Right? And that's, that's pretty huge. crazy. Yeah. And so yeah. now I don't really even do um, many in, in person. I'm not looking to do any uh, in-person shows at all on the smaller level. You guys have a big group and it's um, and it's fun to come out here to do a, a big show for a larger audience. But generally, the the laugh to live is done in front of five people in their living room of a residential rehab. Oh, wow. You know? And so that's tough. It's tough to go do that show. Right. You know, it's just a hard show to do. But now, um, say, uh, doing it in my living room over so Zoom. Hard. Yeah, not so bad. You don't even have to wear pants. I exactly. I don't have to wear pants. I I, I, I don't can, wear pants. I, I can I can wear I can wear sweatpants or shorts or underwear or whatever and sit in my living room. And what's been really cool about the like for me, yes, the isolation is tough, but work wise, this has been great because I can make a bunch of phone calls, do a show, and then uh, go to a meeting, and then like uh, you know uh, do a um, Jewish, right? So like there's Friday night, uh, Shabbat services yeah, yeah. and that's at six 30. So twice in the past couple of weeks, I've had a show at six and then the service is at six 30. So I got my computer going, I do my bit and then I bring up the next comedian and I turn the computer on mute and then the, the rest of the show happens. And then my girlfriend's computer's got the services on zoom blasted to the television. So we could, and then we, Dude. and then dinner shows up. So we get to, I get to work, go to church and uh and eat dinner all at the same time which has been pretty fantastic yeah wow you know for efficiency Absolutely. that's pretty efficient dude right i get to like i can wake up i can go to a meeting i can uh, make all the sales calls i need to do i can do the shows and then and then have free time and i get to do so much in one day that i would that was really unavailable to me before covid so that's like really the silver lining for me now is that because yeah. before um, so I came out to see you guys three years ago, right? And my my main plan was to um, have laugh to live comedy in rehabs in every city across the country. But what I found out really quickly was that not a lot of people, one, can afford to have us, have room in their schedule, want to have anything that's not like a billable service. It was just so difficult. So over the course of a, I guess it was a year and a half, I, you know, I built the business up and we had, were doing like 25, 30 shows at rehabs a month. And that lasted for about three months. And I was driving all up and down California, like yeah. a maniac, me and Aaron and a bunch of other people spent over a full month combined in hours in the car. Like just driving Dude, thousands long and thousands time. of miles. Oh yeah. And it wasn't really it's to be honest, not a lucrative business at all. After mm -hmm. all the expenses and everything, I wasn't making shit for money. Right. And I guess this was now almost two years ago, in uh at the end of uh, September, early October, I lost half of the business in the blink of an eye. Two places closed down. There was a fire in Malibu. We offended one somebody over at this one place, you know, like a bunch yeah. of things happened. And uh, I went from having 25 shows to 12 shows, which now I'm barely breaking even. And then uh, two months later, the hospital that I was originally going to, they they shut their doors completely. Oh, man. And so the 
Laugh to Live basically disappeared. I had like two or three different places that I was going to each month. And I was like, all right, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay my bills? And so I just stopped doing it and I completely changed. Um, I pivoted and um, I started um, a completely new thing where I rent a comedy club or a small theater for the night and I sell tickets to people in the recovery community. I'll I'll sell tickets to a rehab. I'll market to people um, uh, who are friends of friends of people in recovery and put on a big, uh, like my own night, you know, at different places. And so that lasted for a a little over a year. And then I found a sponsor who was like, who, uh, like I found a rehab to sponsor me. Gotcha. Yeah. You need to clarify in in this podcast. Right. So I found (laughs) a, I found a tour sponsor, you know, uh, Covenant Hills in Laguna beach became my tour sponsor. And my, my album was called live from rehab. So my tour was called live from rehab. And, um, and we were, we were touring and I was on the news in Denver and it was like this, I, I was getting ready for this big year of touring with, um, with this rehab backing me and like hooking up all of this, uh, these news spots. And it was, I was very excited. And then obviously with the pandemic happening, that shut down, Damn. which then, yeah, which sucked. I was I'm really, I'm excited for that to pick back up at some point in the future. But of course, then I had to pivot again. So now laugh to live is back in full force, but in a ver- very virtual way, you know? So just what a beautiful story, dude. That's just trying, beautiful. Just trying to stay afloat. <laughs> That's what it is. It's survival and pivoting, pivoting yeah. constantly for uh-huh. survival. But it's like, look how much people it's uh, you're reaching now too, though. Like that same goal of wanting to, you know, have laugh to live, be like a household rehab name, which I 100% back that and think that it should, by the way. Um, it's like that much closer. Yeah, it's become something that that seems a little more realistic now because mm-hmm. I'm able to reach so many different people through Zoom, which is just so interesting because the the shows are fine. But I've done um, well over a hundred shows in the past five months. Wow! Wow! Yeah, since April, like did like uh, forty two in April, twenty five in May, twenty five in June, and it's just been like every month mm-hmm. I've just been able to do more and more shows and get in front of more and more people in this new virtual way. And it's like, it's not ideal for me. I, of course I'd like to be in front of people and, and feel the energy, but there's, you know, just like with anything else, there's some great shows, there's some bad shows and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And it has been, you know, it's been pretty fulfilling, you know, more or less, it's been something to, to work on. And it seems like it's, I wouldn't say it's really growing like too fast, but it's working, you know, it's a lot of work to get these to get people convince people to do this. You know, it's such a new idea. For sure. Like, yeah. hey, watch us watch us do a comedy show on Zoom. There's a lot of people that are like, Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, so now is it a it's a two way interaction? Like yeah. you can see all the people and so oh, you're yeah. able to kind of read the room, read the boxes, oh, yeah. whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, you put it on gallery view on Zoom. You yeah. can see everyone and uh, and a lot of times like a rehab will put uh will take the laptop and plug it into the TV. So you get our big fat heads on the screen and, yeah. and we can interact with some of the clients. So it's like, yeah, cause the, part of the best part about it is you're making yeah. fun of the audience. I, yeah. I enjoy that part a lot. I mean, yeah. as long as it's not me, I know I enjoy <laughs> that part too. And it's much more <laughs> difficult to do virtually. Yeah, I bet. Um, cause you can't really, cause they're so small. You can't really even see them so well to pick out any details about them yeah. <laughs> to make fun of them. But, 
Um, yeah, it's a completely different thing, but at least, you know, we're... But here's the thing. This is, like, uh, I guess for anyone who's who's trying to do their own thing, get out of the job they're working in or they feel unhappy, but it was, you know, uh, three and a half years ago, I was working at a, uh, a restaurant job. Mm-hmm. I was the corporate director of operations for this restaurant company, and I because I was sober, I just kept getting promoted. It's funny how, right. like, the especially in a, a industry like restaurants there's so many people who just won't show up right but that was the sober guy that any time anything broke i was just there I was like, yeah, especially I'll sh- sunday morning yeah saturday morning they could call me anytime so i had yeah. found myself with 100 employees and a boss that that i did not like and he you know i just was very unhappy and you know uh, a few things happened and i promised myself that i was going to leave this job and i was going to do stand-up no matter what i was going to starve or make a living doing comedy in some capacity so like that's really been the thing that's fueled all of the different pivots i've had to make Mm -hmm. because there have been so many times where it's like oh shit that that all i've lost all my business what am i gonna do right or oh my god the pandemic is happening and we can't i can't get on an airplane or rent a, a comedy club anymore what am i gonna do but i've just forced myself to find a way to earn money by telling jokes like no matter what. So I feel like that's been a good, um, a good lesson over the past couple of years is that it's possible. You know, yeah. you just have to just really, really not give in. Well, I think it's, it's your passion and purpose. And when, you know, you have that purpose and passion, you'll, you'll l- literally do anything right. to keep that going, or at least we will. I know I will, course, you know, yeah. and that's why we're all still here today is because right. that's my purpose and passion. I'll exactly. do anything. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. the same reasons. For the yeah. exact same reasons. It's, it's a lot, I wouldn't say it's a lot easier, but it's just it's just necessary when it's like that North Star. Like this is the way that I'm going, and you're forced to figure it out. But those are do. the true success stories. It's never just like oh, I did it. And it was amazing from that point forward. You got to go through the the dips and the valleys and the hard times and the bad times and just persevere through all that because of that purpose. And those are the true success stories, I think. Yeah, and you can't give yourself an out. There can't be any other option. You know. And there have been times when I'm like looked at Craigslist for jobs or like uh, there was this one moment where I had like I had 40 bucks left. And this was like right after my wife left and I had lost all this business. And I'm just like, holy shit, what am I going to do? And I um, I had forty dollars left in my name and it was the beginning of the month in January. And so I paid my rent, but I was like, I've got three weeks to make rent. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had downloaded the Postmates app to be a Postmates driver. Yeah. And I, I, I signed up and I went and got in line to take an order to, to, to go deliver Postmates. And I was standing in line and I got mad at myself. I was like, fuck you, man. Like, <laughs> don't do this shit. And this was a Sunday afternoon. I'll never forget it because I, I deleted the app. I went home and I promised myself that I was going to wake up the next day. I was like, the only way you can not take this delivery is if you promise to wake up and make as many phone calls as it takes to find a show and and book a gig, you know? And so I did that next morning. I woke up and I think I made like 60 or 70 phone calls and found a rehab that was like, oh yeah, sure. Come on out. We'll do it. Nice. You know? And I just took that energy and just like, I just, you know, I've just been making, just been making hundreds and hundreds of phone calls uh, a month for years now, you know, just a successful action right there. Yeah. It's what it takes. It is what it takes. It's what it takes. And it may not take just phone calls, but like for every every industry has their their 
sales or marketing tactic, Mm -hmm. you know, the real work that it takes to earn business. Yeah. And you just, and you know, whether you're a real estate agent, a comedian, a rehab owner, or, or whatever, or an artist, like you've got to, you have to sell your, you got to sell yourself. You have to sell your service. So like whatever it takes to do that, you just got to do that stuff that no one else will do. You got to do the stuff. You got to do the hard stuff that no one wants to do. That's like the real work. Or they don't have the passion for it. Cause I know there's been a lot of things that I've turned over to other people. Like, you know, I'm the boss. Here's your job. You do this, but they don't have the same passion for it and right. they don't succeed because their heart's not in it the same way mine is. And sure. I'm like, I'm just going to take this over and start doing it. And then all of a sudden it succeeds because yeah. it just didn't have the same passion and purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the, one of the toughest lessons is like a lot of times, especially when you're doing your own thing, you feel like, Oh, I need people to work for me. And if I could only get people to, to work for me, then my life would be easier. But the the truth is no one will ever work as hard for your business as you will. And you have to do all of the shit. You have to show up (laughs) and do the stuff that you really can't pay someone to do because of that passion. You know, no one's ever going to believe in me as a comedian more than me, you know, (laughs) until I've got, until, uh, you know, God willing, until I have uh, a bunch of fans and a huge social media following and I can get a, a, a big time manager or agent, then that person will believe in me because they see dollar signs. And they're going to sell the crap out of you because they're going to get a percentage. Yeah, exactly. But right now, <laughs> yeah. like just like with any other business, you know, if when you're especially when you're starting out, like no one's going to fucking believe in you like you are, you know, and if you don't believe in yourself then like, what are you doing? You know, you really got to, you really got to have that hustle in you. So yeah. And you've got to be willing to do work and you got to take, you got to hear no a lot. You got to take a lot of losses and failures to get to the other side. Yeah. You got to hear no a lot. Yeah. (laughs) You got to have some thick skin when you own a business. Yep. That's for sure. Do you have to have thick skin to be a comedian? You think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. My ego has been crumbled. I might, you know, my girlfriend would say I have a, 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 a big ego right now, you know, the, you know, just, just because I think I do. But I mean, <laughs> 12 years ago, it was worse, you know? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There's nothing more humbling than bombing on stage. <laughs> yeah. Like, I you, bet. You, like, there, everyone who thinks they're funny, they believe it, right? Of like, oh, I'm a funny guy. I'm one of those funny people. You know, and you walk around, you make your friends laugh and you look at standups and you go, I could do that. You know, oh, well, how hard could that possibly be? I'm a funny guy. There's a lot of people in the world who just have that feeling. Then you go and do standup and very quickly for most people who do it and pursue it, you find out that you're not as funny as you think you are, you know, and there's like, like the, the first time I did standup, I like, I would took this class and it was uh, four weeks we went to this woman's apartment we wrote our little bits and then we all did like a recital you know we yeah. invited our friends and family to the improv she had rented it out for a night we and we did a little show i did my monologue i got a couple laughs and i was like oh my god i can do this you know and then the next time i did it i went to the improv's open mic and there was a bunch of good comedians there um that i a lot of them i still that are friends of mine today um, I remember being there and I was terrified and I, I got up and they called my name, which it was a lottery. And I, I made like the middle of the lineup of like 20 comedians. I was like number 10 and these guys were going up there killing for each other. And I, I got up there and I just, I choked. I couldn't even get the words out. 
I, oh, I couldn't remember my bits. I, I, I was trying to not do it like a monologue and just talk it all out. And I couldn't even get the first word out. And I hung the mic up and I ran off stage and went to my car and cried. Aww. Oh man, dude, my heart. And I, and, and it, you know, I called my dad and he's like, all right, so you're not dead. This is as, as bad as it can get, right? Perspective, yeah. You know, and so. This is as bad as this can get. <laughs> so that was like not the, that was the, the first, but not the last time that I got completely kicked in the nuts by stand up. So many times in the first five years, I was just not funny. <laughs> yeah. I was just not good. You know, and the jokes I wrote were not funny or they, I sounded like an asshole or I was mean to um, fucking the audience members. Like, especially I was drinking, too, and, and plummeting oh, into shit. a rock bottom while I was trying to become a stand up. It got to the point that the like the month before I got sober, I was doing this show in um, in Compton, California, in this place called uh, the Family Room. So CD bar, like the type of place, like in the, like I'd been there before. And in the middle of the show, the guy on stage, uh, pulled like a gun out, like brandished a weapon in the middle of his, of his set. Like it was a very CD bar, but fucking cool too. Like good people there. And the guys who ran that show were fantastic. But I, uh, I got, it's too long of a story to tell, but I got, in a fight with an audience member so much so that she picked her chair up and threw it at me from across the, she threw it over four rows of people. Wow. Hit me with a chair. Wow. And then came and attacked me. And the security guards had to tackle her. <laughs> and I left and I didn't come back for months until I got sober. And I went back and later, many months later, I made amends to that place. I was about to say, you make amends to uh, that bar, huh? But bro, I mean, like guys, it's like, it's tough, man. Like the kids were asking me, a couple of the guys were asking me, like, "Hey, are you do you go? Do you get stage fright?" Like I was eating lunch before this show right here, and they're like, "Like, do you get stage fright?" I'm like, "Yeah, I want to fucking throw up every time." Like, there's a chance. It's it, it's not a very good chance now because I've been doing this a long time, and I know you guys, mm-hmm. you're good people, and the kids here are generally happy. But there's a chance that I could go up there, and everyone in the crowd could fucking hate me. <laughs> And not just hate my jokes, hate me as a human yes. being. Yeah. When deeper you, than the joke. Deeper. Like there's when you hate a comedian, when when they're bombing, you hate who they are at their core. Yes. You, you do. don't want to look them in the eye. You're disgusted by them and who they are and what they believe in. And so like that's uh That's hard. That makes yeah, that makes uh that that, that, that makes that, thick that, skin. That, yeah, that makes thick skin. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. was the point. It makes that makes very thick skin. Yeah. Yeah, well, I definitely um, de- respect the heck out of you because I I couldn't do it. I um, thank you. I'm way too sensitive to that sort of thing. So yeah. thank you for being that person. <laughs> yeah. So I have one last question to ask you. Okay. Because I know we're getting my close com- on time. Yeah, uh, my comment was just irrelevant. Don't worry. Okay. Let's go straight into the, your question. <laughs> yeah. So you and I uh, talked about before, you've toured a ton of rehabs, ton of places, but you said you really like Elevate and I want to know why. Okay. I love Elevate because the vibe here is nice. You guys, now I'm not just saying this, okay? It may sound right now that this is a paid advertisement <laughs> for Elevate, but there's a lot of rehabs out there that, that aren't doing their job. You know, they put That's people true. in. This is this is what I see a lot is you go to a rehab and everyone has their arms crossed. 
They're pissed off. They don't want to be there. They're being treated like children. They're uh, being told where to go, what to do, how mm. to talk, how to act. They've been they're being shamed a lot about their previous behavior, and they're and they're um, they're um, there's a lot of rehabilitation going on, right? Yeah. saying you were wrong and bad and now you need to act differently and you're in trouble, right? So that creates an environment where the clientele, the residents, the patients, are uh, they, they're pissed off, they're sad, they don't want to be there, right? right. That's True. a lot of rehabs, especially inpatient rehabs, where they're staying for 30 or 60 days and, and they're just, they hang out all day, they smoke cigarettes, they watch TV, and then, and then... They have chores and groups. And so by the time I show up at three o'clock in the afternoon, they've done a couple groups that they don't want to be sitting in. Mm -hmm. And then they see me and it's like, they don't want to see me at all. And so that makes it not fun for me. Right. And also they're pissed off and not because they're fucking addicts getting sober. I feel like it's completely environmental in a lot of cases. Right. So... That's not you guys. I come here, you guys, everyone's happy, everyone's fit, everyone's do everyone feels uh, like they're being empowered to create a new life for themselves within sobriety and it feels like they found a community. The food's good, the environment's good. You guys are fun and you guys aren't it don't seem like you're um, trying to change these people. Right? You know? Like I get to come in here and be exactly who I am. I can swear, I can talk shit, I can make fun of the clients, I can tell, I, you know, we I encourage just, it. No. Right. I can just be me. Yeah. And there's a lot of places that that look at guys like me or people like us and go, mm-hmm. "Well, this is why you're an addict." And this is why your life is bad is because the way you're acting or the way you are as a person is wrong or should be shamed. And, and I feel like this place is not like that at all. You guys are doing a fantastic job of creating a very positive environment and a, and a very, um, I don't know, uh, an environment that, that, that helps these people uh, that are coming here to get better become active in their own lives. You know, and find not only a healthy replacement, but like a new healthy perspective on the way life's supposed to be, you know, and, and if it feels like, I don't know, I guess for any, I guess to make a metaphor, be like, you come here, it feels like I'm on a, like a, a youth group church retreat without all of the, the weird, creepy Christian shit going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all the good, you know, you think of those all young youth parts. pastors. It feel like every single guy here plays like acoustic guitar, can sing well, and I would trust <laughs> them with my children. But at the same time, I don't feel like they'd make them get down on their knees and pray or like bring them to Jesus. You if know, it's like everyone <laughs> here feels like they're a cool uh, coach of a basketball team on some level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just a I fun, a fun vibe. And also it's like everyone's got tattoos and is cool and is not like pretending to be something they're not, you know? Well, I love that. I love what you said. And I've never heard anybody say it that way. And I really liked hearing that as not, we're not telling them to be who they're not in order to be sober. We're just telling them to be themselves without the drugs and alcohol. And that's good enough. And that, I mean, I, that's the vibe that comes off. I know I'm a complete outsider and I don't know the ins and outs of what you guys are doing here, but that's the the third party perspective I have on this program. And so when I come here to do stand up, I get to, you know, I get to take the gloves off and just have a good time. And that's the exact, you guys have the exact environment that I want to be in to tell jokes. So, I mean, that's great for me. 
Good. We love that. And that's why we wanted you to come up here because being sheltered in place down in LA. Yeah. I could yeah. tell you needed, you needed some, oh, yeah. some love. Oh my God. I need this so bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm well, so I'm glad looking you came forward up. to the show and that was, uh, an amazing response. And, uh, I guess I appreciate you, you saying that about elevate. Yeah. Cause that's what we're trying to do. So it's, it's yeah, nice you guys to are know that it. it's, it's landing. The jokes are landing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you Absolutely. guys are killing it for sure. Oh, we appreciate that. So let's give it a plug. Let, tell us all the things you're doing so that any of our listeners can find you and everything that you're doing. Okay, well, follow me online. If you're listening to this, at Zane Helberg on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Follow me. I'll follow you back. I'll be your friend. <laughs> I will communicate with you. And then from there, you can see everything that I do. If I'm on tour in your city, um, or if I've put out a new podcast or a new stand-up bit or anything, it all starts on my social media. So at Zane Helberg, find me there and we'll be friends. Perfect. <laughs> there we go. And we encourage everybody to reach out and take advantage of that for, like we talked about, people that, you know, and, and it's not just has to do with sobriety, although that's a main part of it, but anybody who's struggling at home alone uh, with mental situations going on, reach out and get some comedy in your life. And you probably feel a lot better, at least for today. Mm-hmm. That's true. Full circle. Yeah. There we, we just go. full circled it right there. That's right. We just Quentin Tarantino <laughs> this podcast. Yes. Well, yeah, let's call it right there, Zane. Thanks so much for being here, man. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being here. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.